clinicians are busy. There's so much they're up against. There's no one that I ever meet and train staffs that ever acknowledge that this is important, but we sometimes lack that protocol. We could tell someone do yoga and meditate. And, and, and I'm not suggesting that those aren't important things, but we got to cognitively get to the root of our thoughts for lasting change. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here, you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today on Inside Reproductive Health, I'm joined by Mark Sherman. Mark founded Organic Conceptions. He had been in corporate America for 20 years. The idea came to he and his wife, Erin, after they had struggled with infertility. They decided to adopt and then unexpectedly found themselves pregnant. So realizing that this occurs to lots of people with similar stories, they partnered with Kate Webster, who is a PhD who conducted a multi-year study that uncovered nine key emotional transitions that were common across these stories throughout the infertility journey. Their research has been turned into an online cognitive-based program for women and couples. That's what we're going to talk about today. The journey to parenthood and beyond helps couples identify, name, and address and overcome the suffering involved when struggling to conceive with these nine issues resulting in healthier patients and better outcomes. We hope to explore the applications for clinic partners today on the show. Mr. Sherman, Mark, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate the time. So you've got data. Is that what you're saying here? You you got data to talk about? Yeah, but I think what's most exciting about the conversation, Griffin, is that, you know, as you know, and all the work that you do, you know, there's certainly a lot of the emphasis for care is on the physical way in which we're treating couples. And there's no question that is advanced and there's protocols and there's amazing stuff that's happening in that place. But what's not as clear is how do we address some of the emotional and mental facets that are just the reality of any particular person or couple that's struggling to conceive. And there's very little in terms of protocol and what we do. And I think that any visibility and awareness we can give and, and, and things that exist to help support people in that way is, is an important part of the equation. Yeah, this is a business show. And I tried to bring on people with backgrounds in mental health or a talking about the patient experience because I see those as requisite to improving the business. I don't think it's immediately obvious where business ends, where operations ends, where the standard of care begins. I think the more that society advances and subspecialties become even more specialized and complex, the less clear that delineation becomes. And so I think that this type of service is necessary for the standard of care. I think part of the reason why it doesn't get as much attention as it maybe should is probably twofold. The first is just bandwidth. People really have to focus on clinical outcomes and that takes up a lot of study and mental bandwidth. And the second is, I just think they're not sure, many people aren't sure how this actually benefits clinical outcomes, how it improves the 
standard of care. There's some data here and there, but the more clear we can be and with the value proposition, the more data to support it, I think is is how it ends up getting adopted. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that just so you know, our position is that we are not in a position to ethically say that going through a course is going to lead to an unexpected surprise, natural conception. That was what happened to my wife and I on two separate occasions, which led me for years to say, oh my gosh, you know, is there more to this equation while not discounting the importance of physically caring for couples, but is there not, not another dynamic uh, that can be brought into it. And through this research with Dr. Kate Webster, you started to understand that psychologically, there was this process that we're moving through. There's these stages that couples are transitioning through. And I will just tell you, just like stages of grief, we had a doctor recently say that these nine steps and stages started to remind him that there's this common process that we're moving through. And I don't think any of us should discount that when you can just normalize what someone is experiencing and validate some of those extreme thoughts and emotions and the rumination and the what if scenarios, once you meet them where they are, I just think we're naturally in a position to help them emotionally find themselves, better understand how they're processing what they're going through versus suppressing it, how they can get on to stay trusted, connected, and emotionally healthy and well during a process that for many is traumatic, Griffin. There's plenty of data on that. Well, tell us about this study. I want to hear about the nine key emotional transitions, but I'd like to hear about the study that you did with Dr. Webster and what did that involve? Yeah. So it was, you know, so here I am just a dad of three that had, you know, this very difficult experience over the course of eight years. You sometimes wonder why certain things happen in your life. And for for many, many years, I just felt, you know, we had this instance on two separate occasions where we became that annoying story of the couple that shifted their path and had the surprise. And after living it twice, there was no question, like deep in my heart, even my wife would tell you that, We just felt that there was more that changed than the act of adopting and that psychologically, emotionally, the way my wife looked at herself and our body, our relationship, decisions we made, there's a whole bunch of stuff that just felt different. And um, so, yeah, Dr. Kate Webster is a PhD in multivariant statistics. She's a research psychologist. We partnered with a research uh, organization out of the University of Utah who helped to conduct and formalize the first ever study to look at all variations of people that struggled for years and then had the surprise in through this work. And Dr. Kate, you would love her if she was on. She said early on, she said, there might not be a common thread. There might not be anything that statistically links these stories together. And you have to be mature enough to know that. But it was the complete opposite. Every story would map to these nine stages. And once we realized we had something, we continued to to put it out there with focus groups and slowly started to build an online course that's helping to address the emotional health and well-being for for couples. And again, it's not to suggest an unexpected conception, but we, the measurements we look at have to do with the change in their quality of life around three key constructs that were critical that came out of the data. Measurements as it relates to someone's sense of self, where very easily in this process, Griffin, you feel damaged, less than, you're defining yourself by what's not happening, you lose trust in yourself, efficacy in your body. So there's a sense of self construct and measurements underneath it that we want to move from negative a place to positive place. Their ability to cope became another construct that really became a very difficult for couples where they move from hope in a given month to despair. 
and as that cycle keeps happening, this is where the anger, the jealousy, this is with withdrawing from society and social events. So there's a coping piece that we try to, the program is, is, you know, geared to improve. And then lastly, their engagement with life. For so many, life goes on hold. And many times we give up living because we're living to try. So our everything that we focus on is moving people to more positive outcomes as a result to quality of life. We can't suggest what can happen next, but we do think that if you're emotionally well, we certainly think that that impacts our stress, our hormone levels, and other things that could help our reproductive health be in a better position for success. How do you measure that? How do you measure those different indices? Yeah, so there is there's a fertility quality of life assessment that we found. It was done from a, a bunch of doctors years ago. I think it's out of England. It's called Fertile QOL. And when Dr. Kate saw this, she just said, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. These, the way in which they put that assessment together really touches on what it's like for someone to emotionally be dealing with fertility and how it impacts their quality of life, intimacy, social settings, and whatnot. So what we've done is we pull a subset of those questions that we really think are applicable to the design of our program. And when someone completes our program, that's the survey we send them to say, you know, where were you before? And then when they complete the program, where are you after? And But I will tell you, Griffin, I mean, I, we talk to couples all the time. We, we have to sometimes tell couples that if you see this as a to-do item to conceive the baby, don't do the course. This is about self-growth. It's about actualization. It's understanding how we're getting through this. And there's a couple dynamic that's in play. A lot of times women own this process and they ultimately feel like it's their body's their fault. So this is a course that's really trying to design to reach the couple and the privacy of their own home to help them get through this experience. Not just get through. I feel like that's reactive. I want to put our emotional health that's in a position that's actually contributing to your reproductive health. Not just emotional health for the sad and depressed and not well. They need to see therapists. And we work with a lot of therapists that use our program in collaboration. But we want to hit all the people that aren't seeking out help and they're just trying to get by every single day. That's why we're having this conversation, because I think business is already tangential for some people that work in the field, meaning they're clinicians first. This show is about business. It's for practice owners. It's for executives. It's for practice managers. And sometimes even business itself is tangential. And then now we're talking about wellness and emotional wellness and different paths of the journey. And the temptation is often, how do these things connect. And the what I've posited is that people are coming to a fertility clinic for a solution to their problem. And a baby is often a good enough solution to, to solve a lot of, of what's going on with what they're coming for. But it's one, it's not the only solution. But two, we don't have 100% success rates. Nobody has 100% success rates. And when people get negative reviews online, or they have something with their online reputation, they'll often come back and say, well, it's because that person wasn't successful. And they just wanted to take it out on someone. And maybe there's some truth to that. If there is truth to that, it suggests that people are still coming to the clinic for some sort of solution. And the more solutions that someone can offer someone going through infertility, that isn't just a healthy live birth, because we can't guarantee that 100% of the time, the more solutions we can offer, the better position we are to have that person 
be satisfied with their experience that isn't 100% reliant on clinical outcomes? Well, I think that's it. And I, I will tell you, and I, I appreciate you echoing that, is that I was a meeting with Dr. Fadi Shirar at the Virginia Center of Reproductive Health, and his words will stick in my head forever, which is, it's not about the outcome. I think we think that once I have this answer, this fix, this baby problem solved, and what he said is there's so much loss, there's so much damage to relationships, and even resulting in divorce, that the outcome is not necessarily, it's not the fix, as you described. It is how is a couple enduring through this process together emotionally. And I will tell you, the New York Times, and I'm happy to send the article, they just talked about infertility being lasting trauma. And that, again, regardless of outcome, and regardless of how many years later, this actually shows back up in our lives and somehow. So our take is how do we improve that patient experience, address the elephant in the room, which is there's no person walking in any clinic that's really excited about where they are in their lives. And I've been there and there's constant thought and rumination and what if scenarios I'm running and our ability to acknowledge them as a whole person, provide them a resource, what that does. And I think why a lot of doctors now are just include our program as a standard part of care. We have a a small monthly fee that a doctor pays the price of an electric bill and every single couple gets access to our course. They can do this in the privacy of their own home. And what we are finding is we're forgetting that the staff feels that burden, Griffin. The staff is emotionally doing the best. I had a nurse crying, said, you have no idea how much this is being transferred on me and I'm trying my best. We deliver a lot of bad news. And if this wears down the staff, increases full-time equivalency in terms of the staff. So I think that a resource needs to be deployed, but I think a lot of um, clinics have struggled with what is the best way in which we do it. And I hope that we're just one part of that solution. Do you want your IVF lab to be at capacity? Do you want one or more of your docs to be busier? Do you want to see more patients at your satellite office before you decide to close the doors on it? But private equity firms are buying up and opening large practice groups across the country and near you. Tech companies are reaching your patients first and selling your own patients back to you. And patients are coming in with more information from the internet and from social media than ever before, for good or for bad, and you need a plan. A fertility marketing system is not just buying some Google ads here or doing a couple of Facebook posts here. It's a diagnosis, a prognosis, and a proven treatment plan. Just getting price quotes for a website, for a video, or for SEO, that's like paying for ICSI or donor egg ad hoc without doing testing, without a protocol, and without any consideration of what else might be needed. The first step of building a fertility marketing system is the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's the cornerstone on what your entire strategy is built. You don't have to, but it is best to do that before you hire a new marketing person person before you put out an RFP or look for services before you get your house in order because by definition this is what gets your team in alignment. Fertility Bridge can help you with that. It is better to have a third party do this. We've done it for IVF centers from all over the world and we only serve businesses who serve the fertility field. It's such an easy way to try us out. It's such a measured way to get your practice leadership aligned and it's a proven process to begin your marketing system. Without it, Practices spend marketing dollars aimlessly and they stress their teams and they even lose patience and market share. Amidst these changes that are happening across our field and across society, if you're serious about growing or even maintaining your practice, sign up for the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's at fertilitybridge.com or linked here in the show notes. There is no downside to doing this for your practice, only upside. Now, back to Inside Reproductive Health. The other thing that we have to figure out from a business challenge in this field is about 
conversion to treatment and patient retention. We can't help people if we don't retain them. We can't help people clinically if we don't convert them to treatment. There's key emotional transitions that people have to go through and several different pitfalls, potential pitfalls in the journey that people can fall off. So I think this might map well in parallel with the nine key emotional transitions that you've uncovered. What are those? Yeah. So there's a, you know, it's a seven hour course that we created for couples, but at the highest level, we have this pretty unique journey map, happy to make it available. But we built a program on these three chapters, if you will. There is a chapter called the conception of doubt, and this has to do with a couple's sense of self. And within that chapter, there's these three transitions that couples move through. Then we have where couples kind of lose patience and take on the patient mentality. Does it mean it's not okay to be a patient. Everyone seeks help, but it's more of the patient mentality, the labeling, the identity, the compliance and where people's lives get disrupted upside down, backwards, loss of intimacy. And then there's a surrendering, not giving up on their journey, but a complete change in how they approach themselves. And within each of those chapters, there's these three stages that just naturally happened. And, you know, would you like me to walk you through the nine? I just feel like it, I, I can at a high level, maybe. Yeah, let's do it at the high level of just of okay. bringing us through let's bullet it with maybe just a description of each. Yeah. So, so at the highest levels, it, it started with expectations. Isn't that the key to life? There was a very common set of expectations and thoughts that people had when they began and start their journey in understanding our expectations and our thoughts and the way in which we thought things would happen is important. And there was these five key kind of expectations that came to the top. Again, expectations aren't wrong. It's just understanding really what's driving us in terms of how we saw this process happening. The reason that's important is our expectations then start to collide with this month to month delay. I don't like calling infertility. I don't like labeling people, but it was this delay. And what we found is that within just several months of our expectations meeting delay, it started to come, we started to internalize it. We started to personalize it. We started to create a set of thoughts about, oh my gosh, I knew this might be a problem. I I always wanted kids and I was fearful this might happen, or I was on birth control too long. Maybe that's impacting my body. And we're starting to create a little bit of a early thoughts and belief systems around what's happening. And this is where doubt is conceived. We call this chapter, the conception of doubt, but ultimately then all of a sudden doubt is starting to take over our thoughts, the way in which we define ourselves our identity. And it's this natural, slow process. So many women go through the program. They said, this was like reading my mind. Again, we're not telling people what to do, what to eat, what to drink. We're helping them understand how we get to this place where we've completely distrusted ourselves. We feel worn down. We feel broken. We feel damaged in them. And that's the three steps. It's just expectations and pressures. Then there's a delay in conception. And then we call it the power of doubt. Doubt is conceived and then doubt starts to drive our thoughts, which start to move us into how we start to act, behave our attitudes, which is the next chapter that we get into. Expectations expectations could be a episode in and of itself because so many of the challenges that are faced in patient provider relations come from, are rooted in that first stage of the expectations that they had. It's completely, we had a woman that just completed the program. She had uh, two failed IVFs. Someone had suggested the course, went through the course. They decided to go back again, but she said, when we went back, we were different people. We were, the amount of stress and anxiety we had based on our expectations of that 
treatment working and what if it didn't and all those scenarios they're building in their mind of what if. She said, we might have that time we're completely different people. They did have success. We can never suggest that as the outcome, but they had a completely different mindset. And by the way, expectations are normal. Who doesn't in today's society not plan and think about how we're going to move from our careers into building families? And for most of us, there's a certain timeline and expectation on how we see it all working very naturally. And for many of us, life generally goes the way we plan. I mean, we could we work and work hard and get our job and degrees and the house. And now all of a sudden we're dealing with something that's not going as planned. And I think we got to get to the root of the thoughts and the expectations in order for us to ultimately reshape. You know, we meet them where they are first, but through the program, we're trying to help them to then reframe you can't ask someone to reframe and think differently until we understand what it is that we're thinking about, how we're interpreting it, the meaning we're giving it, and how we're acting and creating a life around those thoughts. So what's episodes, so what's chapters, what's the next chapter? What are the lessons four through six? Yeah, the lessons with four through six have to do with how we start because of the way in which we're thinking about ourselves and thinking about our bodies, we naturally start to create kind of an identity around this. I have an incredible clip of a woman that talked about her entire life was consumed by this identity of being infertile. And this became literally, Griffin, it's, it's a powerful clip, the minute clip, I'll share it. But literally, she talked about her whole life was consumed in two facets. One, I need to find the fix. I need to make this go away. And she described herself in a jungle, cutting her way through to find the next answer, the next fix, not looking at anyone or anything around her, which is that's somewhat normal. We've heard that probably a million times. Interesting how she described it. But secondly, she goes, all the things I wouldn't do in a given month, because what if I'm pregnant. I'm not going to have that drink. I'm not going to go run. She actually likes swimming and diving. She was even talking about buying a car and I should wait because what if I have triplets? I maybe need a different car. She said, my entire life was being consumed in golf and essentially paralyzed. So in chapter two, we're helping them to understand the way in which they're thinking that starts to become their lifestyle, their environment. And it has to do with the identity and kind of taking on that patient mentality. It could be my diagnosis. It could be my age. There's some core root identity that maybe how long I've been trying, Griffin, then in every story started to become their view and their lens on the world. All we have to do is bring recognition to it. We can't tell. It's their job to look at this and say, how is that peace manifesting in my journey? I tell people, the courage and vulnerability for someone to do a course like this is far greater than changing your diet, removing toxins, and all the other million things. You get, they got to have the, the courage to do it. So it's about taking on that identity. There's a compliance that comes with our identity. When we start to see the world a certain way, and we've labeled ourselves in a certain way, and the compliance is where people get completely obsessed with fixes and answers in my wife and I, every part of our life, our existence, our intimacy, what we ate, drank, did, the way in which we had, I mean, everything was, was under the microscope. We couldn't eat sushi because she was told raw fish might do this. And all these little seemingly innocent decisions, once again, not telling people what decisions to make, but it's checking in our intentions, Griffin, behind the decisions we're making. And if we are leaving ourselves out of that equation, not trusting our intuition, not doing things that matter to us, like my wife and I, our sushi night, that was a drive to our favorite restaurant. It was a connection. It was a conversation. It was, and you start to, to make lots of little seemingly innocent decisions. And all of a sudden your life is robotic, mechanical, and you've kind of given up living because you're living to try. So it's about identity, compliance, and then helping them to realize how their thoughts and their identity is starting to show up and manifest within their lives and their physical environments. And then, so to round it out, 
Then the, the last stage is where couples in our research, they just, there was a complete change in their quality of life around their sense of self, ability to cope, and their ability to stay engaged in life. That let, and then, yes, some of these people had a surprise, unexpected conception, but it came to this, these stages where at some point people decide to summon a change. We called it rawness, where at some point in time, people decide to actually think differently about themselves, their bodies, and this journey they're on. A lot of people describe it as going from resisting and suppressing to actually acknowledging I don't have the control I thought I did, and they start to open themselves up into where their journey might take them. So there's a rawness stage of kind of summing a change. You can't force people to change, but have they maybe missed some areas where they just could say, and enough's enough, I need to bring myself back in. Again, this doesn't mean stop treatment. It doesn't, it's, it's for them to understand how they've might been powering through themselves and not giving themselves a chance to be present in this situation. Then there was a reaching back stage where people re reach back to each other, lost activities, and then we have this other stage of renewal. This is where just people start to reimagine themselves in this journey with a level of trust, connection, soundness. Um, and for many, they're just, they release, release that grip that is holding them back from living forward, moving forward with life plans, and knowing that this is a journey that they're on and it will be unique. It's not going to play out like your best friends and how we start to open ourselves in and get back to having intimacy and connection and staying, you know, thriving in life, not just getting by every month. So let's conclude with a, the product that you develop, but specifically how you work with clinics to use this module, what is it that you, how, how do you propose that you help them with this? Yeah. So I think you said at the very beginning, which is clinicians are busy. There's so much they're up against. There's no one that I ever meet and train staffs that ever acknowledge that this is important, but we sometimes lack that protocol. We could tell someone do yoga and meditate. And, and, and I'm not suggesting that those aren't important things, but we got to cognitively get to the root of our thoughts for lasting change. You, you could do something and feel better for the day or the hour or the week, but the thought will be back in their head. So the way we're working with clinicians, and, and, I, and I'm so lucky for so many doctors that have embraced us and helped us morph our model, our business model, but it's where they literally subscribe to a monthly fee. Uh, the clinician has a private website that allows them to register each, each couple. Each couple gets three months access to our program. We have this beautiful workbook and journal kit um, that we co-brand with the clinic's name on it so they can hand them the course materials along with access to the digital course. And the couple gets three months access to the program. In addition, Griffin, we're not looking to own this information ourselves. We have a practitioner training, a three and a half hour practitioner training to help the staff, the nurse, the people better understand and empathize what's behind the eyes of that couple they're looking at. I had a hospital recently go through with a head nurse. She said, I went through your training. She said, I see all my couples now through your stages. The way in which they talk to me, I can actually stage them. So our goal is to help the staff be more aware of, of the emotional piece in a, a bit more of a structured format. But the most important thing is there's not any one person that could give the right advice. The couple has to heal together at home. And I think when we can give them the course, as a complement to treatment, we're addressing the physical and emotional. And I think the patient experience and quality of life of that patient will be much better. And I think we have a business model that's made this very, very simple for doctors to just include us as part of their overall preconception care model. I look forward to learning more about this. I'm very interested that you're coming to this issue and challenge and set of thinking with a uh, 
standardized digital solution because I think it's just it's time for that. And I look more I look forward to seeing more of it, learning more about it. And for those that want to check out Mark's work, they can visit organic-conceptions.com. Mark Sherman, thank you very much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Griffin. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.